Welcome to a special edition of That's a Wrap. We saw Gravity, uh, directed by Alfonso Cuaron uh, over the weekend. Uh, we don't have Chris today, and uh, this is going to be, like I said, a special edition of 13A or 13.1 or something like that. So, um, I'm Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And here we go. So, um, I saw Gravity last weekend. And uh, Nick was was thinking about seeing it, and he s- sent me a text asking <laughs> You're about. Gonna read it. Yeah, I'm totally gonna read it. Uh, asking uh, about it, and I said it's really cool. He says thinking about Gravity with Don later. You recommend? I said really cool. We saw it in 3D, which I usually avoid, but this is worth it. And he says, hmm, what about another adjective than cool? <laughs> I like cool, but we're talking an expensive ticket. And uh, I said honestly, that was the word that kept coming to mind as I watched it. Rebecca's adjectives, breathtaking, awe-inspiring, amazing. He's like, you've got the PhD. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but no, but seriously, I stand by my adjective. I stand by cool. And um, because I remember thinking as I was watching it, this is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> In retrospect, I think cool is just the exact proper adjective. Yeah, it brings out that... Um, that kid in you, in a way. Uh, I should say before we before we jump in too much, we're gonna we're gonna uh, spend the first part of this podcast spoiler free. So if you haven't seen the film, you can still listen um, without worrying about it, and then we'll jump into spoilers a little bit later. Okay, so you're safe for now if you haven't seen the film. But um, what you what do you think, Nick? You saw it more recently. Yeah, um, I I went to the IMAX. Um... 3d experience and you know going into it i uh i had read very little uh other than i remember there was a um someone you know a promote, promoter from warner brothers that had contacted the film department at eastern with free passes uh, regarding this film uh like in early september long before it had you know gotten much of a, a marketing push or a television campaign and uh i looked at it and i'm a big fan of both stars and it quickly saw and i saw who was directing it and i thought oh this looks really good but i knew nothing about it until of course like the opening week when the buzz started creating and then rebecca had had uh um commented on facebook you know the adjectives that you you said a few minutes ago mm-hmm. and then you said it was cool and then uh then they were starting to do these 15 and 30 second spots on television saying best space film ever and stuff and i was like okay clearly i'm i'm in, you know i'm in it's just a question of when and uh so what can i say other than it's one of those amazing experiences where i walked out of the theater and the film stayed with me like you know 48 hours i felt it was a harrowing experience it was very emotional I remember setting foot on terra firma as I walked out of the uh, the um, theater and, and looking up at space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, can there be any more sort of like experiential, um, you know, moment than that when you're walking out into the bright sunlight and I look down and at my foot and then look up at space and I'm like, well, clearly this film did, 
did work its magic on me. And then I went around telling people how much I loved it. Did you say it was cool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely one of the adjectives that I Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I had, I, I'm not going to say I had no intention of seeing it, but my interest level was, 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 I don't know, medium because of the director mostly. Um, considering the stars, George Clooney and Sandra Bullock, I don't have strong emotions about either one of them either way. Um, I like George Clooney, you know, um, he's hard not to like, I don't love him. Um, but the, the director, I love children of men. Um, I love Vitu Mama Tambien. And, uh, I haven't, I, I don't think I've seen Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban, but I don't know because all the Harry Potters blend together for me. I don't, I, I don't know which ones I've seen. And which he really puts his it. stamp on that one. Many, many argue it's their favorite or best, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and I might've seen it. I don't know. I, I guess I've seen some of the Harry Potters, but since I'm not immersed in that world, like, I just can't make heads or tails of that series. So <laughs> one of these days I will. Oh, yeah. But so when I when I uh, said, hey, let's go see a movie, uh, Rebecca said immediately, let's see Gravity. And I was like, oh, OK, I wanted to, I was going to go see that James Gandolfini movie, <laughs> which is weird for me to yeah, recommend that. And I was like, Gravity? Sure. And uh, we saw it in 3D. We didn't see it in IMAX, though. But um, I don't know about you, but I don't like 3D movies. I don't if I have a choice, I very rarely choose 3d uh, i don't like wearing the glasses i think it seems fake a lot of times most movies don't do it right this one i think you should absolutely see in 3d yeah i think the 3d really enhanced the film and made it great in fact um, i think yeah. perhaps maybe of all the films that have been released in 3d in the 2000s sort of starting with some of the earlier animated films and avatar being the the big moment there I'd go so far as to say that the one that, you know, the front runner for most deserved would be gravity. I don't think, uh, I mean, when, when you're going to see like prom night three in 3d or something like that, it's like, really, right. really, we, 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 need 3d for that, but gravity. Yeah. I mean, because it's sort of like you're out there in the vacuum of space and it, because, um, time and space and dimensionality are all opened up in front of you full 3d aspect of it really becomes a part and parcel or central to the experience of watching the film um, as people are reaching for things and things are floating at you um, or just you know general movement um, it, it, you know the film starts off with with Clooney sort of doing a spacewalk using his little uh, what do they call those things Eric the psh, psh, psh. I, I have no idea you know, a little propulsion, the yeah. little, little jetpack, jet jet <laughs> you know, um, as he's sort of like orbiting the space station there, or actually the Hubble telescope, you're, you're just really there in a way that, especially in the IMAX 3D, you're, you're there in a way with that curve, curvature of the screen that is really, it's, it's an amazing experience. You know, I mean, it, uh, this is a film that, that cries out for 3D. In fact, if it, there was no 3D version of this, I think there would be a lot of backlash against why didn't they do 3D on this? Yeah, you might be right. I think that the um, probably the two best uses of 3D would probably be uh, outer space and underwater, right? right? Yeah. I think the best movies I've seen in 3D, I mean, Avatar is the obvious comparison uh, visually and for the 3D. Um, and I think the comparisons end there uh, for the most part because, uh, you know, Avatar, I think you – I don't know if you agree with me with this or not. Is is almost unwatchable on the narrative level. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty it's pretty weak as everybody kind of, kind of agrees. Uh, but visually, especially in three D, it was amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. groundbreaking. Uh, the other thing, 
that I saw that uh, in 3D that really got me was uh, also James Cameron. It was a um, thing he did with the Titanic. When they first discovered the Titanic, he sent these 3D robot things down <laughs> into whatever they're called, submersibles, and filmed uh, the wreck of the 3D. So it was like a 50-minute uh, documentary or something like that. And I saw that in IMAX 3D, and that was pretty amazing. And besides that, there's not much. Uh, the only other one I can think of that I kind of liked in 3D was uh, Life of Pi. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, filmed for 3D. Yeah. yeah. But most of the time, I, I skip it. But I, I agree with you that um, in 2D, it, it might be a different story, which which, which kind of begs the question of will, how will this do on DVD? Like, if we skip this and watched it at home on DVD or streaming or whatever, would we still like the movie? Would we still get it? Um, no. I, I think that I, everybody I'm telling to go see this film, I'm telling to go see it while it's in the theaters. I think if you strip away the, um, the IMAX 3D or just general 3D part of it, it's, it doesn't hurt the film. But it hurts your, I think, level of immersion into it. Um, I think that the part of my emotional anxiety and sort of the harrowing aspects of the film were the fact that the entire damn theater was rumbling around me. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, there's so much subjective camera work in the film, particularly uh, POV shots from Sandy's helmet. Uh, and we have partially obstructed views a lot. And, you know, in, 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 in classic form, you're moving your head along with her and you're trying mm -hmm. to see around areas. And yeah. I mean, it's truly, um, you know, it's, 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 it, 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 it approaches and reaches the threshold for what's available in the 3d experience, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, and the sound, you mentioned the, the rumbling around you, right? The, the theater we were in, the, the sound was, it was a super surround sound. I don't know what the technology was, but it was, um, I think they had like a little demonstration of it beforehand. Did they do that in your theater? They always do that. Yeah. With that yeah. sort of like, you know, and, and, you know, the, the 3d sound, IMAX sound coming at you. Yeah. They did it in our theater too. And, and it was something I had never seen before that particular one. Like it wasn't just the THX. Or right. No, this one yeah. it talks about like, you know, optimal performance. Gee, yes. you know, yes. <laughs> mortal yes. combat voice coming at you. Yeah. And that's great. Um, yeah, and that was that was that was mentality, uh... <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Okay. Well, that's that's good. Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, visually, I think we agree that it's it's amazing, right? Because it captures the weightlessness of space. It captures the immensity of space, right? And this idea of momentum, the fact that nothing slows down once it starts going, right? Um... Yeah. In fact, the velocity only increases if my right. science. Uh... Um... It's the whole solar sail concept, right? Is that an object increases in velocity as it goes through space, right? If I don't know about that. I, I thought it would go at a constant rate. Oh, does it? Okay, I don't know. You know more well, about science than I but do. But it doesn't stop. All right, it does <laughs> not there's stop. No drag. We know that much at least because there's no air, right? That's the very first thing you see when you when you walk in when you when the movie starts. It says something to the effect of in space there is no. Um, atmosphere. I guess it has to do with, I'm looking it up, it has to do with solar pressure. So if an object gets close to the sun or something like that, yeah. solar pressure starts to affect crafts. And um, 
increases its velocity, the trajectory, something off. Okay, well, I think we're in the weeds here. Yeah. <laughs> the point is that, like, you know, if I throw a baseball, it's going to stop because of gravity and because of, um, you know, air pressure or whatever, air, air resistance, but in space it won't stop, I guess is, the, is my point. Clearly, and yeah, I don't know that, what the hell is going on. Especially in the beginning when the when I think this isn't a spoiler at all because at the beginning of the film, when, um, when the Sandra Bullock character gets – uh, detached and she's spinning and she's she's flipping around uh, head over heels I guess you could say uh, and she just goes constantly doesn't stop and it's 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 it, it's, it's the really good. part of the whole film yeah it, it's it like, is I mean from from the spectator standpoint you're like oh I felt I felt sick yeah. not not like I was gonna throw up but I was just like in, in terms of empathy mm. I was really in the character's shoes yeah. and was like Oh man, you're gonna just drift for, and die yeah. <laughs> forever, forever and ever. You get the sense that it could go on yeah. forever and ever, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and that and that's cool. I think the 3D captures that, and I think that um, you know, just visually speaking, the um, the Earth is the constant reference point, right? Um, and it, you see the earth reflected in helmets yeah. and you see it reflected in different things. And they, and that's how they orient themselves. And it's usually kind of uh, above them from the point of view, right? More or less, which is very disorienting uh, as a, you know, somebody who's lived on earth for <laughs> all these years and has never been in space. It's very disorienting and very, very cool. I mean, it's meant to be disorienting. So and it's, it's part of the general yeah. thematic of the film too, which yeah. is, I mean, they constantly without, you know, we can start to sort of head into less spoiler free territory, but I'm not giving anything away by saying that the return to earth is, uh, the central ambition of the film, the dramatic premise of the film, you know, and the protagonist's goal is to get back to earth. Um, and so having it constantly there as a point of orientation yeah. for both of them is, yeah, it's, it's, it serves two functions. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, what did you think uh, about the, uh, the performances of George Clooney and Sandra Bullock, who are really the only actors? There's another voice, a couple other voice actors, but um... it's, for me, it's Sandy's film beginning to end. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was telling Eric before the podcast that I've been a fan of her since, you know, love potion number nine. Um, and I actually still have an old interview of her on David Letterman when she was on Demolition, when she, you know, made her, uh, sort of big splash in Demolition Man pre-speed and was a big fan and still am, although she's sort of gained and lost followers over the years. I'm a big fan of both actors. I think they're both incredibly likable, incredibly bankable, um, solid performers with multiple Academy Award nominations and a win, certainly wins for both of them in different categories, but uh, I, I felt that their star power drew me to the film, whereas I've been finding in social media that that's actually a problem, is that many people are staying away from the film because of a dislike for, in particular, Bullock. Everybody seems to be pretty uh, pretty open to George Clooney, but um, they either love him or like him, but I don't, I don't really know anybody who hates George Clooney. Yeah. But. It's interesting because I, I, I asked you about their performances, and, and it's hard not to go into their reputations. Right, <laughs> because I did that earlier too. Like, I think that it's it is a thing that draws or repels people, and I, I do want to get into that about people's. Um, it drew me. Yeah, I want to talk about people's uh, perceptions of these people as stars and whether it's going to have make them see or not see the film. Um, and I guess you it, you have to talk about it in, in that context. A lot of I've heard a lot of people say there was no separating. Yeah, 
I've heard a lot of people say that they don't want to see it because they don't look Sandra Bullock, which I, I find really close minded to be honest with you. But, um, but regardless of what you think about her and her choice of roles and everything else, um, she does a fantastic job. Do you agree? Yeah. Beyond fantastic. I think, um, I mean, she's, I mean, the thing, the thing about Sandra's performance in this is, uh, well, let's go back to what you said a minute ago about, about, uh, the public persona of, of the star and star culture in general. Um, yes, there are people who dislike Sandra Bullock. Uh, the smarter ones put that aside and go see the film. Right. Uh, people who cannot seem to separate the person, their personal dislike for an actor are going to not enjoy this because you're going to spend 90 minutes with Sandy. You know, and an extreme close up too, <laughs> half the time. I mean, you're gonna her face dominates the screen. And yeah, I mean, well, she's in a spacesuit for the first twenty, thirty minutes. Well, yeah, but I mean, like once we once we're past that, the camera lingers on a lot of on her uh, her eyes fill the screen. You know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I remember thinking to myself that there was extreme close ups, um, all over the place. You know, and that. Uh, yeah. It was really, you know, it's really just, I think the film belongs to her. I think Clooney exists for martyrdom's sake, for, uh, as a, as a foil, um, you know, and I've heard some people complain about, well, yeah, he exists as a foil and to, and for martyrdom. And I'm like, yeah, but what's, I mean, if I was writing the screenplay, that's the ambition that he would fulfill. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And let's go into spoilers then. Yeah, since, I, yeah, definitely. Since yeah. you've used the word. Well, at this point, at this point, I think yeah. we're, it's for. Um, because I didn't know that. He. This is spoiler time, people. So you know you're war- consider yourself warned. Um, I did. I was. I didn't know. I thought he might die or go away. Well, die, but I wasn't sure, and I was a little surprised when he did. But I would have been more surprised if he hadn't. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think he's there for martyrdom. He's there for uh, comic relief a little bit because he's you know yeah this is the worst day of my life. I'm out of right, right. all these little you know folksy stories that he tells. And I think he does a fine job. He's got the voice for it, you know. Even though you always know it's George Clooney because he's got that voice. But no, I think he. I think his role in the film is good. He he he's uh he guides her. He's a father figure to her, and he draws out her personal story, um, um, which is film. so compelling. I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you, you think, think so? so? Oh, I I when I when I, after I saw the film, I had commented on Facebook. I said, not only how much I love the film, but to me, it was essentially a castaway in space. And I felt that the I'm a huge Castaway fan, but the the major difference in, between the two films are both survival narratives. But in Castaway, everything is protracted. It's four years he's on this island yeah. trying to get back to civilization. In Gravity, it's a matter of a few hours. You have you have oxygen issues that are that are you know uh, compelling her to get to various space stations for for safety and, and for oxygen. And you've got this orbital issue. Every ninety minutes, all this space shit's coming around and, 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 and destroying everything. That is the the, uh, um, the MacGuffin of the film, really. And so the thing is, uh, to answer your question, yes, because just like in Castaway, we're shown the fact that she has very little life back on on the on Earth. You know, she. Right. I mean, what would you be doing now back in Indiana or whatever? She's like driving home from work. And what would you be listening to the radio? I mean, she's got no life. She sits there. I mean, she lost her her baby or her child or infant in a really senseless and kind of tragically stupid uh, accident, playground accident. She's not living a life. And when the threat of it is taken away from her, the threat of her life being taken away from her, she makes a choice 
and decision not to die, not to succumb to suicide, mm -hmm. an intentional point, and to fight and not give in, to persevere. And so just those simple things, Eric, to me, spelled out incredibly compelling character and, mm -hmm. and situation. Because it's so it, the beauty was in its simplicity. I, I agree with you on this, actually, um, for the most part. I think the comparison to Castaway is apt. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Castaway like you are. Um, I, it's Castaway is difficult for me, but right. great um, teaching film. The um, <laughs> yeah, I could see you know. But one thing about Castaway is that that long stretch of no dialogue, and I wonder in this film if they could have done with a little less dialogue, especially um, after George Clooney's gone, you know. And as far as her backstory, I think, and on one level, I think. A woman trapped, or a man, but a woman trapped in space, trying not to die, is compelling enough. I don't think we need the whole backstory. But that said, I'm glad the backstory is dead child, nothing going on at home. If it were like, oh, my husband's waiting for me, or somebody's waving to me, then I'd be like, oh, he's got this cheesy, you know, you have this stupid reunion scene. Like, you're right, because she it does set it up. It, she is set up as somebody who has nothing but her work. And nothing else, and I think that's. I think that does add to. The, I agree with you that it adds. To if the nothing world. else, yeah. as screenwriters, we all know that we we explicitly state a, a protagonist's outer goal, and we implicitly state their inner goal. Um, it, it, all good writing, all good screenplays, you know, even bad right. screenplays have this. Clearly, her outer goal is get home. Right. I mean, we know that she's trying to get to Earth. Clooney even says it's not that hard. I know you failed this failed the simulator test so many times. Point the fucking thing at Earth and and go. Right. <laughs> but the the implication, the implied inner goal is okay. Get back to Earth, but then live again, have a life. Right. And I so I think that the two together are, as you say, I think you know if that's what her inner goal is, then it's a good one. It's apt. It's a proper right. thing to do because obviously her life is going to be changed forever after this experience. Just as I love that scene in Castaway when Tom Hanks is in the hotel. There's that, all that food, that tons and tons of food that nobody's eaten that's yeah. going to waste. And, he's, and he can't sleep on the bed because it's too too soft. He's on the floor with that goddamn barbecue lighter. Click, 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 click. Yeah, How right. easy it is to get fire <laughs> when it took him so much effort to make fire. you know. And he's forever changed because of that. Yeah, you know, and and going off of that, there's another contrast between Castaway and this that I that I appreciate about this. Um, what's the running time of Castaway roughly? One forty, I okay. think. It's over two hours long. Right. This movie's ninety minutes long, and I appreciate that. And the other thing I like about this is you don't get those moments. What you get at the end is her dealing with the gravity of earth right she's trying to stand up she can't because her muscles are at your feet we don't know where she is we don't know where she's landed we don't know if or when well when probably someone's going to come get her we don't know what government agency or what national nationality or whatever you know whatever government she is we don't know any of that stuff that's all we don't need to and we don't need to because they could have added 15 minutes to the film of her uh accepting an award or saying something nice about the george clooney character or yeah, which would have been so horrible 
uh, I don't know if it would have been so horrible. Oh, yeah, but, in, in relation to where they did stop it, it well, would have been, yeah, terrible. I think they stopped it at the, at the perfect time because Without we don't need all that stuff. That stuff, would it have taken away from the film? Yeah, I think it would have a little bit. I, I would have accepted it, but I was so glad that they cut. When you, know, you see her struggling to get up and they cut, I'm like, that is perfect. Which is why I think that the narrative of her background, I think if they had cut that, it would have been fine as well. I don't, I'm it glad it's there. It doesn't hurt the film. I'm glad it's there because but. I no, I mean, I mean, in terms of rising action, we get this lull where she's, you know, I mean, it's always, you know, up, up, up mm-hmm. with setbacks, and we have her right. contemplating suicide. She's like, you know, I'm done. I yeah. this is I've got no fucking fuel. It's over. And then of course we have this moment where Clooney comes back. And yeah. What do you think about that that moment where Clooney comes back? Totally fine. The, yeah. The, I knew. I think we all sequence. knew that yeah. it was. None of us knew, given the director's sort of background, that mm-hmm. that it, and it was seriously suggesting that Clooney was there. Everybody was like, I think, going, "Oh, that would be nice," but we all knew that there was no chance that that was going to happen. Yeah. Um. And and I think it worked right. beautifully. But I want to come back to something you said a minute ago, which is um. The ending is so perfect for me because of all the, the, the all the symbolism is is uh, you know it's 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 very explicit. There's all, you know she we have this wonderful moment of her when she finally gets into the Russian space station where we just sort of languish with her in the fetal position for about like Love two or three scene. like like two minutes yeah. where she's just sort of taking. Re, you know, like t- like Superman pulling in the energy of the sun just to sort of get her bearings, and yeah. then we have the, the wonderful symbolism of in the Chinese space station of her of the womb returning to Earth. You know, as she's already been in a fetal position, now she's in yeah. the space capsule re-entering uh, the birth canal, going mm-hmm. into the Earth, and then of course we get that great moment where she's coming out of the primordial broth of the sea, and we even get that little frog comes right by her and we have that wonderful sort of like as man takes it, yeah. their first step coming out of the water as she slowly or, or not slowly but firmly plants her foot and it's like I just thought it was all fucking cinematic perfection really and to me the movie is in many ways may signal if anybody's paying attention a, ga- a, a subtle game changer in Hollywood that you don't need uh, the, which we talked about in previous podcasts, the blockbuster approach to uh, populating a script with contrite and um, silly, uh, ridiculous narratives that, that are confusing and have too many things going on and are laden with too much special effects. Simple narrative will always get us every single time. This is just a survival narrative with two stars, you know. I mean, it couldn't get more simple. However, the effects also, I mean, are are planted. So it's this beautiful thing that you and I always talk about, which is spectacle as realism, realism as spectacle really, really works. Yeah, the effects serve the narrative rather than existing only for themselves, right? But it is a spectacle. I mean, this film is all spectacle. It's not all spectacle, but it's, 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 you know. And it and it's meant to be, and it's it's gripping and it's suspenseful. Like you said, every ninety minutes when that stuff comes back around, uh, it's so stressful. And uh, I was, you know, I mean, not to be cliche, but I was literally at the edge of my seat for the entire ninety minutes. I was like, "What's going to happen? This is crazy," uh, which I didn't expect. If Hollywood pays attention to this, there's a lesson to be learned. Mm-hmm. It's this is sort of the the anti transformers. You know, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of effects work that went into this. But as you said, it's it's a it's not a broad fit. It's a perfect fit with the narrative. Uh, yeah. The you know it, it's and 
and it is a survival narrative too. Um, it, it couldn't be more simple in its in its ambitions or designs, but it's executed perfectly. Some of the some of the criticisms that I've heard that frankly I just don't put much credence into deal with a lot of the science behind it, and to, to which I respond, you know, this isn't Apollo thirteen. This isn't historical representation, and I and I say, and this isn't science fiction. I said, you know, the science is as accurate as it needs to be. Uh, people have pointed out some problems here and there, and I thought, well, you know, um, I don't find them to be a detriment to, to my enjoyment of the film, but there are those out there who just sort of lie in sort of like a, a coiled, tense position, ready to pounce on, you know, any sort of like gaffes that occur in films, and science being one of them. And, um, you know, I, I remember... Uh, I think Buzz Aldrin, you know, uh, wrote about the film saying that it was, I'll, I'll look it up while you go ahead, Derek, and I'll, I'll bring that up. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I don't know how necessary that is. I mean, Buzz Aldrin, I, I heard that Buzz Aldrin did something good about it, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's, I just yeah, want to yeah, make sure I've got that correct. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Yeah. I, I read something that he had, he had said something about it too. The point I'm trying to get at there is that scientists are going to piss and moan, but it's like, I'll go with the guy who was out there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I liked about this was that it's not a based on a true story movie. It's it's it really is something. It's it's out of the imagination of Alfonso Cuarón and his I think his son co-wrote the script, right? Yep. And it's just, you know, it's something that could happen tomorrow, right? The technology I think mostly exists, right? And I'm not going to worry too much about whatever people are nitpicking about the science. I'm not worried about that. You know, you know but the, it, it is a sticking point. I mean, I, I, there are people out there who are like really upset with certain things. And I just like, I think you're missing the point of the film. Yeah, I think so. It's, it, it's sort of like the Facebook arguments, you know. <laughs> Trolls. <laughs> Trolls. Don't read the comments, right? Um, yeah, I suppose. I mean, people, I, I, I haven't read any of the, uh, uh, the criticism you're talking about, but I'm not surprised that it's out there. But I think you're right about the, you know, what is the, I mean, the film's called Gravity, right? You know, you it reminds me of that stupid joke in Star Trek V when uh, Spock has those little things on his feet. He's he's floating up in, in Kirk's rock climbing. He's like, I don't think you appreciate the gravity of the situation, Captain, you know. Uh, but, you know, it's got that double meaning of, you know, gravity, but also it's like grave, right? There's this... Um, you know, it's very it's very serious stuff. But, you know, you have the void of space. You've got this kind of, you know, seeing the earth for 90 minutes like that kind of dissolves nationality, right? Dissolves nations. It, it puts things into a completely different perspective, right? And it's a small film in, in a sense for being so spectacular. It's a small film. There are two actors that we see. There's another body actor and two voice actors. <laughs> and that's it, right? Ed Harris being one of them. And, you know, I was saw with my, uh, you know, uh, my good friend Don, uh, Don May Jr. from Synapse, who I've referred to on the podcast. And I, I nudged him with my elbow and said, because I'm really good with voice recognition. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I, for some reason, I don't know, over the years, you can play me audio of an actor and I can tell you who it is. Um, and I said, that's Ed Harris, which, which is brilliant because it bridges the gap to two prior films now that Ed Harris, I mean, of course, Ed was, you know, in Apollo 13. And of course he played John Glenn in the right stuff. So he sort of like made his mark on three <laughs> of the most important sort of, you know, uh, NASA fueled <laughs> films uh, of the last 30 years. So I just think that's great that they chose Ed to do it. It's a little intertextual nod. And, yeah. uh, 
Do you um? How do you think? What do you think about this film in, in relation to Coron's other films? You you talked a little bit about Harry Potter already. Um, uh, you know, Children of Men. Yes, I do, and uh, and uh, Itu Mama Tambien. Um, I think. I mean, I think it fits beautifully. Actually, I mean, he uh, Quaron is a director who loves to give us um, an unflinching, realistic view of reality. Uh, he's yeah. you know his films often deal with you know the darker side. Uh, with with rays of hope and light that are mm-hmm. pr- 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 provide an undercurrent to them, and I think that's exactly what gravity is, you know. And 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 your your discussion of the importance of the of the title of the film, I think, really falls into that. is is illustrated beautifully by Quaron, who does this great job of setting up this story, and then I mean, and, and it's a technical. Uh, it, there's a lot of virtuosity going on in that 12, 13 minute opening take. Uh, opening shot, you know, is, is, is remarkable. I mean, we just in, hover in, in gravity yeah, yeah. that, you know, we don't get a cut until about the 12 minute mark or so right. is really sutures us into the yeah. film. And he does that in his other films. Exactly. Too, right? he, he loves the long take, mm-hmm. you know, uh, children of men, um, is great for that. You know, that, that, especially that battle sequence at the end, which is not really a long take, you know, he does digitally stitch different takes together, but it looks like one take, and that's all that matters to us as viewers, right? <laughs> you know, really, if you think about it. Um, and Ichimama Tambien, I, um, I haven't seen in years. I have it right over there. I have both those films here um, on DVD, but, um, you know, kind of a coming-of-age story, uh, a journey in a way. He likes traveling, apparently, right? Um, but he's got the, some of the same, I think, um, themes going on right um loneliness um how do we connect to people uh clive owen and children of men is a very alone person right um but there is that ray of hope like you say at the end of children of men um and uh, at the end of gravity as well i think he's he's got something going on he's a good storyteller and he, he uses the tools at his disposal to tell stories that are kind of near future like children of men and gravity are both they're neither one of them is really science fiction i guess but they're both near future they're both in the future right right right. but he does it in a way that that seems very gritty and realistic um even when you're floating in space i wanted to ask you i i feel that the potential for gravity to be a game changer exists what are your thoughts on that you mean in terms of uh, narrative and spectacle? No, in terms of, peop- of of Hollywood realizing that it is it, we do not need um, these convoluted films to sort of you know distract us. That that and as I've said on previous podcasts, whether it be you know cave paintings mm-hmm. or you know or gravity and, and everything in between, we're just narrative addicts. We want a good story. We don't necessarily care how it's told <laughs> in terms of the technology. We just like a good story. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, this we we are drawn to the technology in this film, though, right? We are drawn to the spectacle and the 3D and everything. It heightens the appreciation, yeah. but at, but I mean, without the, the what I'm trying to say is like it's two stars, you know, and and space. Yeah, I understand. And it's like it's, it's, it's the beauty in it lies in the film's simplicity, yeah. and I think a lot of critics are picking up on that. Do you see that this could then therefore influence roundtable discussions at the studios about people referencing? Well, yeah, but look at Gravity. You know, yeah. like like they could. Do you think this could be, has the potential to be a a, a game changer? Oh, one would hope, right? Because it is. It's simple. It's elegant. 
it's it's a it's the story 90 is, minutes it's 90 minutes it's clear you know it's um you know going back to our man of steel discussion right it's not laden with all this uh what should i say i don't know like there's nothing extra to it, you know, and uh, you know, I, one would hope that there would be maybe a realization that people want simpler stories, and that maybe the technology should be subservient to the narrative, in a way, rather than tacked on, or, or even in the in the in the case of like a, a Michael Bay film, for example, uh, the the main thing at the expense of narrative. Uh, one would hope. I mean, we'll see next summer. What happens, right? Because you know it was released in October, so we're, we're we're edging up on Oscar season. It wasn't it wasn't released in June, right? As a summer blockbuster, right. right? So who are they pitching to? You know, is this is this set up as an Oscar film or is this set up as a blockbuster film? Are they trying to straddle the two? I think it works as both. It it got a huge amount of box office the first weekend. I know that. Right. So, yeah, I would hope so. You know, I think it's just a, a, an elegantly told story. It, it just happens to be really heavy on special effects. Right. There's a, a reviewer over at uh, Reverse Shot, which is a website that I'm a big fond of. Uh, Chris Wisniewski uh, writes a, a, a lovely um, review of the film, criticism of the film. I like his this is his last sentence, you know, in his last paragraph. He says, it's it's not just that gravity is a more thrilling and expertly choreographed piece of action cinema than anything else a Hollywood studio has put out in quite some time, though it is. It's also that it displays, like Children of Men before, an uncommon level of visual intelligence. Guaron keeps his mise-en-scene fairly busy with objects of varying degrees of narrative importance floating on the sides or in the background of the frame as his camera, ever restless, follows or anticipates the action. But he returns time and time again to close-ups of his star's face for long stretches of the movie's running time. Nicely put. Yeah, I think that is nicely put. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, just to, to wrap up that part of this, um, when I, I liked The Avengers last year, but I never watched it again. Um, I liked... You know, I haven't watched it either since that first time. Yeah, yeah. you don't Funny need to. You say, yeah, I don't need There's to. There's no reason to. Right, I'm not going to get a whole lot out of it. I'm a huge Joss Whedon fan, but sure. I, I got it the first time. Right. This, um, I might go see an IMAX 3D. I'd love to go see it again. You know, and I'll see it while it's still in theaters. Blown away by it. And when it comes out on DVD, I might watch it again. I, I might. I probably will, actually. Um, and that's a big difference, you know, for me, anyway. I think it's a testament to Sandra Bullock, actually. I really do. Um, and I mean that in all sincerity. I think I, you do. I, I really do. And I, and I think that anybody who has problems with her, uh, no, because I mean, and you you have to agree, Eric. That oh, I don't have anything against her. Though. No, no, no. What I mean is that <laughs> okay. it, no, but people who don't like her, yeah. you'd have to agree that like this film is hers. I mean, it it she she's yes. in every minute of it, and she yeah. is the protagonist, and yeah. it all rested really yeah. with her ability to pull this off or not. It's her face. Yeah. Once you get to her face, because you don't see it for a long time, but yeah, her face and that, that that scene where she's just floating, like you said, like kind of embryonic and all that. You know, she she carries the film in a very strong way, in a way that you know I don't like a lot of the films that she's in, but I don't think it's because of her most of the time. 
you know, I, I think she's a good actress. I, 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 and, you know, whatever. People can disagree about that if they want, but I don't think, I can't think of a time where I have not seen a film because I don't like the actor. You know, you don't like Maggie Gyllenhaal, but you would still saw Batman. Oh, absolutely. Right. You know, yeah. um, I'm not. I, I, yeah, I think she's overrated. Hoo, 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 ha, ha, ha. But I'll right. go see any movie with her in it, sure. Yeah. And I don't like Keanu Reeves that much. I know you're a big fan of Keanu, but I'm not. Yeah. But I like your Matrix. He's easy to pick on. You know, but I like The Matrix, and I'm not going to not see a film directed by my favorite director or someone I like or with an interesting premise. Just because. Because, because of the actor. I think that's close. Oh, my God. I have so many friends uh, that do that. And and people accuse me of doing that. But, like, and sure, there's plenty of actors or actresses out there I'm not a big fan of. But I, it's not like I won't watch a film with them. Right. I mean, there are actors I love, and I will see everything they're in. But, but there are very few. I don't think there are any actors that will turn me off of a movie. Yeah, maybe Adam Sandler, but even he's got some that I like. Sure, you know? I love Fifty First Dates, and <laughs> I love the one. Oh, what was the one that where I think he got an Oscar nod for it, where he's the uh, Spanglish. Yeah, that's Spanglish. Oh, I, I didn't see Spanglish. Oh, I really love that. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. He's wonderful. So that too. I'll see that. Yeah, sure. he's great. Man. Yeah, I'll see that. So yeah, I think that's just close-minded, you know, for the most part. But overall, I think this is a great movie. This is a movie that um, you know. This this reminds me of the artist last year, like when you were talking about legacy. The artist, obviously, people are going to start making silent films, obviously, right. right? But that was groundbreaking in a certain way. Sure. And you know, again, it showed that narrative and you know, telling a story. Best picture stuff is great. Um, in fact, Eric, if we look back and sort of like track the best picture winners in the last twenty, thirty years, or shit, back to nineteen twenty-seven, it's almost almost always narrative that. That you know, I mean, look at look at Rocky, right? Or or look at uh, No Country for Old Men recently, or Shakespeare in Love, or I mean, I'm just pulling this out of my my ass right now. But yeah. if we look at the best best Oscar best picture Oscar winners, it's usually because people were moved. Yeah, not, sure. You know, and yeah. and and that and that not because th they were like, look at all those cool explosions. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. But those make money. Those make money. Yeah. Yes, they do. But but the voters typically go with their heart. You know, and not yeah. their pocketbook. So the Oscar voters, anyway. Yeah, the Oscar yeah. voters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. yeah. Um. Yeah. So then there's always that tension between making money and getting I, awards, and it, those are sometimes mutually exclusive. It will be not always, but sometimes it will be a hell of an Oscar fight this year between Sandy Bullock and and Kate Blanchett. I mean, that's going to be. I would give it to Kate. Yeah, I can see that. And not only that, Sandy's already got one, but. Um, man, that's going to be a hey, man. It's only October. It, it's going to be a, well, yeah, true. But I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be quite a dukem, uh, you know, uh, fight between those two because there are great performances from both of them. Although Kate, really, I mean, she's probably unbeatable if you think about it. Yeah, that not, blue, blue not, Jasmine. Is, yeah, I'm not going to prognosticate about award season about the about the Oscars, but I, I thought Kate Blanchett's performance was was unlike anything I've seen in quite a while. In quite a while. Yeah. yeah, and Blue Jasmine we're talking about yeah. in case people haven't caught that. <laughs> right so yeah no so anyway gravity uh it was buzz aldrin by the yeah. way yeah he, he he called the film remarkable so mm -hmm. i'm gonna hang with him over the nerdy scientists who are going well you know that really didn't make you know that wouldn't make sense up there right. in outer space yeah people don't do that with transformers for some reason yeah oh my god yeah but <laughs> well, you throw yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's well, a great point Eric. transformers is good but, but, but you know the, the, the you, you know can make a robot like that, robots you know? like you know to which i say yes and you know mickey mouse can't talk so thanks for joining us in our episode 13.5 or 13a or 13.1 
of That's a Wrap. We enjoyed discussing gravity with you and... Cut. That's a wrap. <laughs>